can, can you remember the last time you were really, really hungry? I mean, can, can you remember where you were? Maybe like right here now. <laughs> How you felt? And I wonder what you were willing to do to get past it. Believe it or not, fasting is a new trend in our culture. You would not have guessed that as you walked through our doors here today. There are snacks for everyone. However, recently in the New York Times, it's called the happiest, hippiest new trend, fasting. In fact, evidently, it's become a fashion statement that's more fashionable nowadays to um, stay out of that chic restaurant and not eat. In fact, there are people who are paying almost $3,500, $3,484 a week to go to a spa to not eat. Desert Hot Springs, California is booked through October with fasters. They are claiming that this four to 30 day regimen of not eating food is kind of a spiritual experience. Not only does it help with weight loss, Stephanie Paradise, owner of a new age health spa in New York, says it's all about detoxing the mind, the body, and the spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested. I'm not sure I'm quite, can can you remember the last time you were really, really hungry? I mean, how'd you feel? Where were you? What were you willing to do? Here's what some have, some hungry people have, have done. Alex Bowen, maybe you saw this in the paper. He waited for 10 minutes at two o'clock in the morning at a local Waffle House to eat. I like the Waffle House. No one in my family will go there with me. If we're on a trip and someone wakes up and says, I'm hungry, I'll say, well, there's a Waffle House in 25 miles. They'll say, What's, what else is, is there? This guy was there at 2 o'clock in the morning. Evidently, the person who was supposed to be working was asleep behind the counter. So he says he was really hungry, so he went behind the counter and he prepared a double Texas bacon cheese melt, which sounds pretty stinking good about right now, doesn't it? And he said he, he, he documented everything on his phone. He took pictures so that people could see him preparing the food, paying for the food, and he actually even cleaned off the grill when he was done. Representatives from... Waffle House applauded his cooking skills but cautioned such behavior. They said that no word was given to why the Waffle House was understaffed nor what happened to Sleeping Beauty. But if I had to bet money, I would say that Sleeping Beauty is no longer sleeping or a beauty. Can you remember the last time you were hungry? I mean really, really hungry. My question is, what were you willing to do? Where were you? How did you feel? A 27-year-old woman from Fort Pierce, Florida, went to McDonald's, and she ordered a 10-piece McNugget meal. 
She says she was so hungry she could taste it. Have, have you ever been there? I mean, you're hungry, you miss some meals, and finally there's food, and, and, and you, you actually start drooling. And because you, you can almost taste it, kind of wiping it out of the way because you're just that hungry. She said everything was fine. She was waiting patiently until that little person behind the counter said, we're out of McNuggets. Yeah, she said, I don't want a McRib. I don't want a McMuffin. I don't want a McNuggets. I want McNuggets. She said she wanted her money back, and they said, well, we really can't do that, but you can have anything on the menu. You just pick it out, and you can have it free of charge. She did not want anything. She wanted McNuggets. Do you get it? She could taste them. So she thought this was an emergency, so she dialed 911. Three times she talked to the police. Finally, they came. She did not get her McNuggets. She was escorted out of the restaurant. And I wonder, what are you willing to do when you're hungry? The last time you were hungry, where were you? What were you feeling? What did you do? My favorite one probably deals with an eight-year-old in Ohio. According to the police report, he wanted a McDonald's cheeseburger at nighttime. Mom and dad were already asleep on the couch. So he took their phones and he went to YouTube and he watched instructions on how to drive a car. And then once he thought he understood, he grabbed dad's car keys and a handful of dollars and grabbed his four-year-old sister, put her in the family van, and they went to McDonald's for cheeseburgers. He went a mile and a half through four intersections driving the car, pulled into the drive-thru, and ordered cheeseburgers. When he got to the window, the workers thought they were being pranked, so they called the police. He did not know he was in trouble or had done anything wrong until the police showed up. But this story has a happy ending. They went ahead and gave him cheeseburgers until mom and dad got there. <laughs> and then they probably didn't eat much for a few days. I'm sure that was kind of the deal. But I wonder what happened to you the last time you were hungry. Today and for the next few weeks, we're going to start a brand new series entitled The I Am Statements of Jesus. These statements are found in the book of John. There's seven of them, at least seven. It's going to take us seven weeks to kind of get through these. And then we're going to come back and talk about some of the miracles that surrounded these I am statements. But today, Jesus makes the statement in John chapter 6, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry. fact is, God created our bodies to run on food, to run on fuel, and hunger is the way that we have been wired to let us know that we need some more. When we start feeling those hunger pains, when we hear those growls, they remind us it's time to eat. It's called an appetite. Those of you who are young kiddos here today, cover your ears, but those of you who are grown up, remember when you were little and parents would tell you not to eat that right now because it will spoil your what? Your supper, your dinner. You will lose your appetite. Anyone here ever lost one of those? You know, there's always another one coming. 
And now, you know, when Debbie gives me the look and she says, hey, don't eat that right now. It's almost time for supper. I'll say, hey, 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 I'm a biggie boy. I'm not going to lose my appetite. Doesn't work there either. God has also placed within each of us a spiritual appetite. We're wired that way. We have a wanting. We have a desire. There are pains. There are growlings in our soul. It indicates somehow, some way we are empty inside, and we need to do something to fill that emptiness. The kicker is, a lot of times we look or we go to all the wrong places to feel that, that hurt. John 6, 22 through 60 is where we're at today. That is a long sermon that Jesus preaches. So you may just want to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. There's no way I'm going to throw all these verses up there. But I'm going to bounce our way through this this chapter to see what it means to understand what Jesus said when he refers to himself as the bread of life. He tells us the only way to satisfy the craving is the bread of life. And he says he is the bread of life. So here are three things I want you to remember about this sermon that Jesus preaches. And the first thing is this, God gives bread to those who are hungry. I mean, it's kind of obvious. You know, the day before Jesus makes this statement, he has just fed 5,000 men and their families, their wives and children. I mean, one little guy showed up and he had a sack lunch and Jesus took that lunch after it was given to him And he provided this miraculous feed on that mountainside. You know, the thing that I think is the the most unbelievable part of this story here is that this little guy gave up his lunch. Those of you who have little ones at home, would they give up their lunch for some stranger? When you were a kid, would you give up? I'm talking Lunchables nowadays. And they have stuff. You go to McDonald's, there's that kids meal. I'm not sure my kids would, I'm not sure I would have given that up. But this little guy cooperated and because of that cooperation there was a miracle and these people were fed and there was even leftovers. And then we're told about the nation of Israel. We are reminded that Jesus fed their forefathers too. Remember? There was a thing in the Old Testament called manna bread. The people were so distracted about their life that God bought bread to them every morning. In fact, here's the way it's said in Exodus chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. When the layer of dew evaporated, there was a fine flake on the desert surface, as fine as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what what is this? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So why in the world did God feed the Israelites? And why in the world does his son claim to be the bread of life? Two reasons, I think. It's um, obvious that God fed them because they were hungry. Does that make sense to anyone? I mean, they were hungry. They were traveling through the wilderness. They didn't have a whole lot of time to stop and hunt and catch and do whatever. So God just provided a need by sending them manna in the morning. And the second reason, he loved them and he wanted to show them that he would provide for them. Spiritually speaking, if you feel an emptiness, God wants to give you bread. 
It's all about a relationship with his son Jesus. You see, everything in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, point their fingers to Jesus. That's the way it's set up. So he is talking here about a relationship, a process in which we can connect to the Father, and that happens through the Son. In verse 33 of this piece, John chapter 6, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So God sent the true bread. didn't appear on the ground in the morning, but it appeared in a manger, and most experts say at night. That's where it started. Verse 26 When it talks about this concept, there begins to show itself some type of problem. Verses 22 through 25, we are told that after Jesus fed this group of people, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, the disciples got into a boat and they went to the other side of the lake. Now, it doesn't tell us us that Jesus got into the boat, but he made his way over there. When the people came to, they realized that the disciples and Jesus had gone. So they went to find them. Now, here's probably the $5,000 question. Do you think these people went to find Jesus so their spiritual hunger could be satisfied? No. They were still hungry. I mean, they had a new appetite. Yeah, they were full yesterday, but now they had another one, and Jesus had fed them once, so probably, probably, maybe he would feed them again. One theologian says they were moved not by their full hearts, but by their empty bellies. And maybe that's where we land in verse 26, says they came because they wanted more to eat. Believe it or not, we too are slaves to our physical needs, and it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy to make our physical hunger cared for. I mean, if I had to take a quick survey here this morning, could I do that? A non-scientific survey? How many people here today know what they're having for lunch? Okay, several do. How many people today think what they're, they know what they're having for lunch? How many people don't like what they're having for lunch? I mean, there are so many ways to get to this point. There are probably a lot of crocs going on right now in our city crock pots full of lunch for people, or you have reservations at various restaurants, it takes a great deal of planning to make that happen. In fact, some of our folks, they plan out their whole meals a week ahead of time, don't they? I mean, they prepare it, they put it in the fridge, and off we go. Debbie told me as we were getting ready today that she had something to do Monday night. She wouldn't be home till late, so I was going to be in charge. Can you say Papa John's? Domino's? I'm in charge. Monday night, I'm in ch- That's going to be fun. Has nothing to do with broccoli. Guarantee it. It will be tasty. And then in the next breath, she said, hey, I got a meeting at work, and I'm not going to be home probably till 6.30 or so Tuesday night. I'm going to put you in charge. Yeah! Two nights in a row? I have Chinese chicken. I know where that's at. I have Wolf's barbecue. I know where that. I mean, I'm excited about this week. She told me Wednesday night what we're having because we have small group coming over, so I don't have to worry about Wednesday night, but I got two nights this week. I'm going to rock, baby. 
I mean, I know kind of where we're going, and I'm going to prepare for those evenings in a special way. Whether or not she likes me being in charge, we'll find out from henceforth. Verse 35, Jesus said, he is the bread of life. And whoever comes to him to eat will not hunger. Do you think that had an impact on these people who spent their whole day trying to figure out what they were going to eat that night? how they were going to feed their family. It was an important choice of words that Jesus used to share with these people. What he wanted them to understand, that the only way they could fill the emptiness inside them spiritually is to live a life in full pursuit of what Jesus had to offer. It's all about a relationship, a process of connecting. It was all about being fed from a higher up to take care of what was what was inside them. So God gives bread to those who are hungry. The second thing I want to remind you of is only God's bread can give life. Nothing else works or will sustain or will last. Interesting fact, no matter how good the meal tastes, no matter how much you spend on the meal, no matter how amazing it is, at some point in the future, you're going to be hungry again. Guarantee it. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, there were no baskets at my house. That meant that I've been bad. So I just took Debbie out to the Longhorn Steakhouse. I thought that would probably make up for things, you know. And We split a meal because in the back of our mind, if you go to the Longhorn Steakhouse, there's a thing called the chocolate stampede for dessert. I mean, it is stinking amazing. So we actually split a meal so that we'd have some room for dessert. It was Easter, let's party, girl. Well, when the little girl came to give us our check, she did not even ask me for dessert. She said, here's your check, good to see you, see you next time. And she disappeared before I could say, chocolate, Debbie said, don't worry. We'll come back sometime this week and all we'll do is eat dessert. That sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Excuse me. Debbie, has that happened yet? Nope. (laughs) Has not happened yet. No matter what kind of meal it is, no matter how much you pay for it, how extravagant it is, sooner or later, you're ready to eat again, aren't you? Because we were kind of wired that way. In fact, Jesus reminds his friends in verse 48 and 49... You are after more bread, but it won't last. He says the bread you want may fill you up for the moment, but it's temporary. Bread must sustain your life, but only for a time will it sustain it. Verse 49, even those who ate the manna from God sent from heaven, your forefathers, they still died. The bread couldn't keep them alive indefinitely. And he wanted to remind the people just because they were part of a miraculous meal, what they ate was not enough. So he offers this bread of life thing. He offers to take care of their spiritual. He says in verse 27, don't just work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal The eternal life which the Son of Man, there's that phrase again, which the Son of Man, Jesus, 
will give you on him, God the Father has placed his, what does your Bible say? Seal of approval. Whoa. Have you ever bought something that had the good housekeeping seal approval on it? I mean, that's the thing to go for, right? I mean, it's got the stamp on it. We are told in this piece right here that Jesus, the son, the son of man, has the seal of approval. He has the approval, the blessing from God, his father. In fact, if you have your Bible still open, verse 40, for my father will, my father's will is that for everyone who looks to the son and believes in him, they shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he who believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. He mentions that again. Verse 50, Jesus referring to himself, here is the bread that comes down from heaven which man may eat and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh with which I will give for the life of the world. And then if you notice in verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will inherit eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, I have to take like a 30-second time out, okay? If I could do that, be so bold. And almost talk like he's talking about cannibalism. This is weird, isn't it? Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, that sounds repulsive. He is talking about a process. He is talking about a relationship. He is talking about a connection to the Father through him. And it has to do with our acceptance of him as the bread of life. He says in verse 57 and 58, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, So the one who feeds on me will live because of me, the one who connects to me. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. He is. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on the bread will live forever. This bread of life thing, I think, is two-dimensional. It makes a person alive spiritually. Right now. First service, we had a baptism. One of my friends was baptized, they began to walk in newness of life. Today, they began a spiritual feeding today. So it makes us alive today. And secondly, it means that after you die physically, you will resurrect to live forever. He says in this little sermon, that he will raise his people on the last day. He says it four times. Verse 39, verse 40, verse 44, and verse 54. If you tell your kids something twice, what does that mean? Better do it. Tell them three times, three strikes and what? You're out. You tell them four times, they better get this, right? I can almost see Jesus grabbing them by the cheek and saying the last day. I will raise you up. That's what this bread of life connects you to, that kind of power. He is the bread of life. The life will never falter, fade, or fail, which leads us to one more thing. We must, we must eat the bread of life. We must connect. We must develop a relationship. 
We must live our life in such a way that we prove who we say we are by how we, how we live. Imagine being really, 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 really hungry. Maybe you've been busy all day, you didn't have much for breakfast, you skipped lunch, and now it's supper time, and you order food. And before your food comes, they bring you one of those baskets of bread. You know what I'm talking about? Now, when I go to Logan's or Old Charlie's, they bring the bread, and I ask him to bring me a little thing of cinnamon. And they will say, do you want to doctor up this bread? And I will say, yes, ma'am, I do. And they bring it every time. There was one time that they brought the seasoning that they use for the pork chops. That does not taste very good on bread. So now when I get this cinnamon, I always sniff it. People think I'm a little bit crazy getting high on cinnamon, but I'm not. I'm just sniffing. I'm going to be sure. Mix my sugar or Splenda in there with it. And, man, it will make those rolls taste unbelievable. I'll poke a little hole in there, put some butter in there, kind of roll it around, dump that concoction in there. And then if I look up at Debbie, she's giving me the look. After I'm on like my third one, she's like, hey, 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 hey. Shouldn't be eating all that. She's just telling me I didn't leave enough for her. That's what she's telling me, really. So then I back down. After one, two, or three, I kind of slow down a little because the only way to satisfy your hunger is to eat and bread's only good if you eat it, right? Okay, now this is going to be a wee bit gross, so just hang on. I'm going to apologize in advance. So once I get the look from Debbie, I'm into my third one, you know, and it is a masterpiece. So she says, hey, hey, hey. So in order to be obedient to her, I just spit it out. <laughs> I said it'd be gross. Is that the same as eating it? No, it's not. Thinking about eating is not the same as eating. Smelling the food is not the same as eating. Knowing all the nutritional facts is not the same as eating. Understanding how your body processes the food, it's just not the same. I mean, this really connects to believing. Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing in Jesus. Knowing facts about Jesus, not the same as believing in him. Understanding how Jesus saves a person, it's not the same as believing. You see, believing alters the way we think. It alters the way we speak, the way we live. It, it, it just, it, once we internalize that, it makes us different people. Living what you believe, it's like placing your hope in something that will really sustain you. It's a deep sense that your soul is not lost. It's a placing of confidence in the one and only one who can give you confidence, and that is Jesus. If we go back to the text just for a moment this morning, because here's the sad part of this story. Verse 36 says that most of the people rejected the bread of life. people still do today, don't they? Verse 41 says that some people grumbled about Jesus. 
People still do. Verse 42 that said, says some people made excuses why they couldn't follow, and people do that today too. And verse 60 says, some people said it was too hard, too hard to believe and to live that way, and some people make that excuse today too. Believing and obeying, hard, but it's our only hope. So I wonder how many of my friends here today are hungry, spiritually. I wonder how many people are hungry spiritually, and I wonder how they feel. I wonder what they're willing to do to to fix it. Mike Benson tells how one night he and his family were finishing a meal. His eight-year-old daughter left six green beans on her plate. At our house, we would think that would be a win. He says usually that kind of thing doesn't bother him, but it was just six green beans. Usually she's really good with her veggies, but she left six. He said, eat your green beans. She said, I'm full, full to the top. He said, go ahead and eat them. I'm sure you won't pop. She said, I might. I can't eat another bite. And Mike knew what they were having for dessert. It was pumpkin bars with a dollop of whipped cream on top. Her favorite. Now, if it were pumpkin bars with ice cream on top, that might be my favorite. He said, you want some dessert? And she said, yes. And she shoved her plate away. And He said, I thought you were full. How can you eat dessert if you can't just eat six little green beans? And she actually stood up on her chair, almost on the table. And she said, Daddy, here is the vegetable part of my belly. It's full. Here is the meat and tater part of my belly. Full. Here is the dessert part of my belly, and it's empty. I need some. What we eat usually reveals what we're hungry for. And I wonder what you're willing to do to curb your appetite. Maybe it's joining a small group for the very, very first time. One of our community groups, maybe that would help. Maybe it's being more aggressive and maybe being part of our Christian education, our Sunday school process. Maybe that would help with your appetite. Maybe it just means attending more regularly. Maybe it, I don't know, the list could go. Physically, if you're hungry, I guarantee you're going to do something about it in probably just a few minutes. Spiritually speaking, when are you going to do something about it? Will you pray with me? Father God, this